Welcome to the Red Card, a podcast with two guys who love talking and love football. Uh, so we thought, why not talk about football? I'm Dean. And I'm Ben. Um, and yeah, I mean, we've been talking about doing this for what, about one year exactly, pretty much. Um, have decided to finally have a go at it after a couple of friends who we will not name at the moment. Uh, we're a little bit flaky um, but yeah so this will basically be a podcast about mine and Ben's ideas on football we're not going to agree with each other you're not going to agree with either of us it's going to be an absolute uh, mess but we will get through it as best we can thank you for listening managers Ben managers everything at the moment is about managers right so even in the last, what, 24 hours, things have changed completely. If we take ourselves back a week, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer yeah. is going to get absolutely sacked. Everyone knows that he's yeah. going. He's just been spanked by Liverpool 5-0. So Ole's out. You've got, if he doesn't go, you've then got El Sacchio, which is the Manchester United versus Spurs game on Saturday. You've had Steve Bruce be sacked by the new Saudi prince in at um, Newcastle United. Um, and, and everything at the moment seems to be about managers. And when we were looking at doing this podcast, I think you'll agree, we sort of said, you know, actually, the first one is basically what's happening with managers at the moment. Absolutely. So, so I think what we'll start, based on the fact that we've just both watched Manchester United salvage and scrap and scrape a point against Atalanta um, and Ronaldo basically come out and show why he's worth the money he's worth. Um, we'll actually start at Spurs, I think. <laughs> Makes sense. Why not? Um, so, yeah. So, where do you go with Spurs? How do you how do you even begin to quantify how bad they've been this season? So, what I've done, um, uh, you'll notice everyone over the course of this podcast that Ben is the guy who comes in and has a mad idea um, and gets very very angry about something. <laughs> says his piece and then shuts up. Whereas I'm the guy who does a little bit of research before it. Um, and I have done that for the Spurs manager of job, right? So let's take ourselves back to January, 2019. Spurs have just had two transfer windows where they spent nothing. They brought in no players um, and it is just hell. Fans hate it. They're not seeing any excitement. They're not seeing any change to their team. Under Pochettino at this point, right? Magically, they get to the Champions League final and then they lose the most boring Champions League final in May of 2019 to Liverpool. And during that summer, I don't know if you remember this, but there was basically like a a will-they-won't-they of Poch and Spurs of will he stay, won't he stay. And there were comments that were coming out from him. I think they asked about Danny Rose's future. I'm pretty sure that every Spurs fan is happy that he's now out of the club. Um, but there was talks about Danny Rose's future and Poch basically said, don't talk to me. I should change from manager to head coach because I have nothing to do with transfers. And you could tell that it was just getting worse and worse. November 2019, Poch leaves. They bring Mourinho in. Now, at that point, Mourinho is one of the best managers in the world still. He didn't quite do it at United, but he still won them trophy. Um, ben, for everyone who's listening who doesn't know Ben, Ben is a Manchester United fan. So for my sins. <laughs> so Mourinho, when he was at Man United, might not have been the best person in the world, might not have been the best manager in the world, but he did win trophies with uh, quite a poor squad that was in turmoil. 
skip forward to April of this year, 2021, Spurs sat Mourinho within the week of the League Cup final, the first Cup final that Spurs have got to since, I want to say 2000, well, actually, sorry, apart from the Champions League final, I think it might have been like 2008 um, League Cup when they won it. They beat Chelsea, which is my team, which makes me very sad. Um, But Spurs beat Chelsea and that was the last time they won a trophy. So they sacked Mourinho, one of the best managers in the world at some point, if if not at that stage, one of the best. And put Ryan Mason in charge. Spurs pay Mourinho and his staff fifteen million pounds at that point as a, a sort of you know a, a golden handshake to get out of the club. Ryan Mason gets put in charge until the end of the season. During that summer, can you? I mean, because I know that you've not done the research on this. Can you name any managers that were linked with that Spurs job this summer? This summer. This summer, Ben, yeah. This summer. So uh, I think Fonseca was their number one choice. Right. They chased him for quite some time, which was odd because there was the whole Roma dynamic of swapping Mourinho for Fonseca, <laughs> who was there at that time. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Conte, they spoke to a few times. Um, yeah. That's, I can't think of any others. So I'll, sure I'll, fill you in on, I'll fill you in on the others. So Gennaro Gattuso was bang in line for the job. Then it turned out that he said some horrible stuff on Twitter about, and I, I didn't look into it because, frankly, I didn't want to make the podcast about what Gennaro Gattuso gets up to on Twitter. But he said some stuff on Twitter, fans revolted, and they, they didn't sign him. Um, Julian Nagelsmann, at that point, was also linked throughout that time. Because, obviously, you've got to remember it was from... Great manager. Because it was from April, wasn't it, right? Um, what he was doing, being linked with Spurs, who knows? Brendan Rodgers was linked at one point. Eric Ten Hag was linked at that point. Um, so you've got, I mean, and Con- so Conte, Fonseca, so you've got two of the best managers uh, that have sort of graced Italy in recent years, and then Catuso. You've got now currently one of the best managers in the world in Nagelsmann, Brendan Rodgers, who is a fantastic young manager, and Eric Ten Hag, who did fantastic things with Ajax. And what Spurs did in June 2021, everyone, was they appointed Nuno Espirito Santo as manager of Tottenham Hotspur. Now, yep. even then, you've got one, two, three, four, five, six. He's at least seventh out of those. And I think there's a thing that he was like the eighth choice. And I don't know if that's just a Twitter rumor or what, right? So they appoint him in June. Then Kane basically wants to leave. All of that happens within June. And then they get to a point in November, like now, it was what, two days ago? And they sack Nuno paying him £14 million pound with his staff to yeah. leave. It works out at, it works out at £1.4 million pound per game he's yeah. paid. An absolutely insane amount of money. Um, and then today, they appoint Conte. So there's a thing with, with the Conte appointment. Firstly, yes, ex-Chelsea, we'll, we'll come to that. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, they, they obviously spoke to him in the summer. And yep. he said he said as much in his uh, press conference that that things didn't work out. Uh, there were rumours certainly uh, in the social media sphere which suggested that one of the first signings he wanted to make was was Nemanja Matic from United. Being a United fan, that's what we we were uh, talking for. about. <laughs> yeah, and um, and obviously Daniel Levy didn't want to do that. Yeah, um, coupled with other things like he brings a whole. A truckload of nutritionists and dietitians and sports 
data scientists and analysts to that with him. So he's got he's got quite a big uh, team that he comes with. I think there was real yeah. uh, reservations from Daniel Levy to appoint him then. He's come to Spurs now on an 18-month deal. Yeah. He must have had some sort of guarantees that that, uh, that he perhaps didn't get in the summer uh, from Daniel Levy, that he'll, he'll be able to spend some money in January and, and, and the summer transfer windows because I, I can't see... I can't see him doing great things there with the current no. squad that they've got. So I suppose this is the thing for me. So I, I've written down a few notes from earlier, and, and this is based on going on a few things on Twitter. I was looking at what Spurs fans were saying. I was looking at what other fans were saying. Went on BBC and saw what was happening. They had like the live feed of it, and then they had people texting in because people still text into the BBC for some reason. Um, and these are notes I've got. I've got, why would Conte go to Spurs? And I think that's an overall sort of picture of what we're talking about here. Another thing that I put there is actually that it, what if they promised him and what's changed since the summer? Because if they're going to go out in January and they're going to spend £150 million, then I've got a few concerns with that. Number one is why did they not guarantee him that in the summer? Why did they not give Nuno that in the summer? Because Nuno could have spent that money. But also take ourselves back. And we've had a little bit of a journey here already, but take ourselves back to 2019 when or 2018 actually the summer of 2018 when they hadn't spent a single penny in a transfer window the only premier league team ever to not spend a single penny in a transfer window and Maurizio Pochettino who's was one of Spurs' best managers in the last what 20 years 25 years they don't give him that money or whatever it is that Conte needs and Conte does need money wherever he goes it seems to be successful what could they have promised him to get him in, do you reckon? They must have promised him uh, promised him a lot of money to spend. I, I mean, talking back at sort of 2019, that that squad it peaked at that Champions League final. That was that was the yeah. end of that that team. You know, without wanting to sound, uh, think about uh, United and stuff. Ferguson always knew when a team peaked, and then he'd have to go through that sort of rebuilding process. Yeah. And I think if you think back to 2019, that team they had uh, Vertonghen, Alderweireld uh, in defence, and uh, Sissoko as the spine, Son and uh, Kane up front. It, it, yeah. it started to peak, and and then they lost a few players. Players left, and they just haven't been replaced with, with the same sort of experience. I'm not even say quality because I think some of the signs they made are pretty good. I just think it's the experience. Um, at the top this level is, that they haven't done. This has been up putting you on the spot. Who do you think they signed this good? Oh, Romero, uh, centre back. I think, new, he, I think he was, yeah, Chris, Christian Romero from, yeah, uh, but that, but that was this summer, I remember. But that was this summer, yeah. Yeah. You also, you also think, just in case, so you had Tang, is it Tangi and Dombele? Yeah. yeah. He, he was about 55 billion from, I think, Leon, Napoli. Was, was it Leon? No. Yeah, no, you are right, it was Leon. Yeah, yeah. it was Leon, he was in France. Yeah. And, he, yeah. and you know, to be fair, in France and that, he was, he was a very good player and there was a lot of clubs interested in him. I think it was um, certainly someone that United had looked at. Um, but he's... Whether he's settled in London, whether it's he's just not getting the, the consistent amount of games, he's just not really he's not really done it for Spurs. This, I've, uh, I've heard good things about him. I've genuinely heard good things about him, and this is what I don't get. Like Spurs fans are fickle, and that's all. All football fans are fickle. Like you know, we'll go from one season we love a player to another season he's trash, right? But, but this is kind of you know 
what have they promised him? I think that's the, the the one thing that I look at and see. Well, what actually? And also, why didn't you give that money to Poch? Like, you know, in 2019, 2018, why is it waited till now? I get they bought a really big stadium. I get they're in billion pound worth of debt. I understand that, but they're still in a billion pound worth of debt now. So what's the? And the next part I put here is actually has Daniel Levy learned his lesson now? Because I saw somebody basically say. Why are we trash talking Levy on this? He's actually making a very good appointment, which I I personally think that is that remains to be seen whether it's a good appointment because I think Conte needs good good players to, to do well. But has so, he learned? So, has he? So this this is the thing, Ben. This is this is my question to you mm-hmm. on this, right? Um, and I think so. This, before I go on to it, because we'll, we'll end the, the chat on Spurs on this, I think. But from my point of view, it's a coup for Spurs. This is a huge coup it's a huge step down for him to go from Inter Milan. I mean, for me, Conte becomes the next Italy manager from where he was, which tends to happen with Italian managers. You know, you look at them and and they tend to go sort of club, 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 win a few things, win a few things, Italy manager, right? So I think that's where I see this. But my question on Daniel Levy is, has he learned his lesson? And are we going to see any any difference at all in, in the way the Spurs do business? No, it's a tough one. I think um, following the uh, defeat at the weekend to yeah. arguably not a great United team, um, they were they were so poor. I remember watching the game; they were so so poor that not a, not a shot on target at home yeah. in, in the entire game. Obviously, Nuno came under a lot of uh, scrutiny. Um, you know, the fans of China, you don't know what you're doing. I remember we took Moura off of, uh, that 55th minute. The yeah, fans I think, booing everything. I think that um, was probably sorry, the point. That the, I think that's the point where they probably knew they were going to sack him, where he yeah. took a player but, off yeah. and booed him. But it, but it wasn't just that. It was it was following the game and the, and the, you know, the, the vitriol towards Nuno. It was also directed at Levy. And yeah. I think Levy, Levy's self-aware enough to know that he's... You know he's coming under fire as well, uh, and fans. Uh, I remember seeing loads of things on social media again. Fans wanted him to step down or to leave. Yeah. He's not going to go anywhere. But credit to him, he's he's acted decisively, which is not something you see from many many uh, boards. He's 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 seen the lay of the land with the fans. He's seen the the, the swell of opinion and and against uh, Nuno. He's got rid of him, and he's appointed a manager who. Right outside of Guardiola and, and Tuchel and Klopp, who are probably the three best managers in the world, he's probably in that rung just underneath them, which is about the best possible manager Spurs could have appointed. So, will this change anything for Spurs? I think uh, until the January transfer window, he will make them a lot uh, more difficult to beat. They'll be a lot more solid. Yeah. Um, I don't see them scoring tons of goals. Uh, I no. just think Harry Harry Kane has checked out, and I think Son can't do it all on his own. Um, I think uh, a midfield combination of of uh, Skip and who did they have? I'm trying to remember now. And Lacelso isn't going to um, set the world alight. But yeah. I think I think if uh, if if there's one thing Conte will do, he'll he'll go to that sort of five three two. Uh, formation with wingbacks, and he will make them much much harder to beat. And I think that's yeah. that's the first step for Spurs because they they've been so poor this season. Yeah, I think for me, it, 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 you're right in a way. It's, it's 
I think he'll go five at the back somehow. I think he'll, and, and if he doesn't, it's a change from what he does in general. You look at every single side that he's sort of won anything yeah. with, he's gone five. And, and actually, you know, people will take the mickey out of a five at the back and say, oh, you're playing with, you know, basically seven defenders because you normally do a couple of defensive midfielders. But Tuchel's making it work and Conte's won a couple of league titles with it and an FA Cup and, you know, he's won the Italian League with it and, and he's done... Yeah. Incredible stuff. So has he won, yeah. he's won five five league titles in seven seasons or something? He's, oh, the man's insane. I mean, yeah, he wins trophies wherever he goes. Now, I'm not saying that you know Spurs are, let's be honest, allergic to winning trophies. Um, <laughs> but um, but but you know he will he will <laughs> solidify them and he'll, he'll strengthen the side, I'm sure. And um, you know he's only there for 18 months. So um, well, he's there for 18 months and then. I think they've done that because actually I think that's a good deal for both sides. From Spurs' side, if they want to get rid of him, it's only going to cost them probably about five mil to get rid of him now on an 18-month deal. Because by the time they want to sack him, this is a year's deal. You know, they won't want to, they won't think of anything until the end of the season. Although it is quite a strange time to sack someone because you are now at a point where if it still is going wrong in the next 20 games, sorry, in the next like 15 games, for example, and you've still got another 13, 15 games left, you then might be tempted to sack another manager where you've got more and more. And I think um, January will be quite key. I was just looking. So Chelsea play Spurs at Stamford Bridge on the 22nd of January. By the way, Chelsea's January, we go into it a second, I've just seen. So it's Liverpool at home, City away, Spurs at home. And we haven't got Edward Mendy for the whole of January because of the African Cup of Nations. That's, I think, probably what we'll do. The last week of December will be a podcast on how much I hate the African Cup of Nations. But you mentioned there Spurs being allergic to trophies. And speaking of people that are allergic to trophies, um, let's move on to the Manchester United debacle at the moment, shall we? Oh, why not? So... How many days ago are we talking now? So we're recording this on the uh, the Tuesday night when Manchester United just played Atalanta and drawn 2-2 after two fantastic Ronaldo goals, um, which is basically Atalanta 2, Ronaldo 2, and United didn't score a single thing. So you're talking about nine days ago, or nine or ten days ago, Liverpool walked into Old Trafford, pulled Manchester United's pants down, wiggled things around a little bit, and then walked out with the match ball as well to boot, which is the first time I think anyone's done that in the Premier League. You then go to the weekend and they beat a very poor Spurs team 3-0. Um, away, granted, that that is at Tottenham Stadium. And then tonight, they go 1-0 down, I believe. It's been a long yeah. evening. I watched I watched the Great British Bake Off and, you know, oh, it's been a wild evening. Um <laughs> So United go 1-0 down, they then go 1-1, they then go 2-1 down to a fantastically taken goal um, by, was it Zapata for Atalanta? Yeah, du- yeah. Duvan Zapata up front. Number nine, yeah. great number shirt number. No, awful shirt number. We can have that discussed another day, Ben. It's 1-21 or 1-25 and then that's it. Unless you're 12, in which case you can get a higher number. That is it. <laughs> um, I know what you're trying to do here. You're trying to put me off talking about 
United and, and the shambles that they are. I've got okay. a few questions for you as a Manchester United fan, because I think it's fair for me to yeah. now interview you. And I wish that we could Thanks. do something. I wish I was good enough at editing that at this moment, like the lights came down and then like, you know, the mastermind <laughs> music came on and all this sort of stuff. But my, my question really is, is this, there's two. Are you improving based on the last 10 days from where you were 10 days ago? The last two games, are you improving? Okay, okay. Do you want me to or, answer that now? No, so this is or this is okay, a, a this is a, a this is this is the one question, but an or has that just covered the cracks? So, are you improving, or is a win against a really bad Spurs team and a draw, which realistically Manchester United Football Club should be going into Europe and beating Atalanta with a Ronaldo in their team, with a Cavani in their team, with David De Gea, who by the way really bad on that first goal, I have to say, with Harry Maguire in defence and all this, right? Okay. Or is it covering the track? That's the first question. Second okay. question is, does Nuno getting sacked take the pressure off Wally now? Or pile it on? Right. So so let's let's go with, with the first one. Um, I would say we are uh, not massively improving. I think it got to the point where Solskjaer has been stubbornly sticking to his 4-2-3-1 formation with uh, McTominay and Fred in centre midfield. Um, all season, we've been giving up chances left, right and centre, uh, culminated in that horrendous result against Liverpool. I think it was uh, the worst result in that fixture uh, for United in our history. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the 10th time, yeah. only, only, the, I mean... I found this a weird stat. It's only the tenth time that you've conceded five goals at home in your history since, like, you know, nineteen whatever yeah. it was, nineteen twelve or whatever. Yeah. And um, I mean, it was it. There was there was nothing good about that performance. Absolutely, we we set up wrong. We got the formation wrong. We tried to to press Liverpool and couldn't do it. It was yeah totally disorganised. And then what he's done uh, in the Spurs game and and today. Um, is he obviously saw what was going on um, and he's he's reverted to a five at the back. Mm-hmm. Um, he was lucky Varane came back, although he's injured. We don't know how, how if he's out for the City game at the weekend. Um, yeah. Varane came back and we kept our first clean sheet in 21 games, I think it was, which is yeah. ridiculous. Um, you know, and, and if you think last season we finished second, uh, and there's caveats to that, you know, uh, Chelsea were poor. There, Liverpool, there is there is a whole crate of caveats yeah. to that. Mate. But, but in but in all, you know, we we were second half FC last year. We you know, every game we were going behind yeah. and coming back in the second half. So it's you know we we've always given up chances, and, and this season we've you know you think you signed Varane, you signed Sancho, um, and and you think you spend all that money on these players. And we're worse than what we were last season. Yeah, um, so I, I want to pick up on something here, by the way. So you said that you, you've singled out the fact you've got a clean sheet on Saturday and Spurs. Then you go out tonight and you end up conceding one goal that is very poor from De Gea and bad defending from Wan-Bissaka, by the way, who was nowhere yep. near where he should have been. Yep. And the other, I think the other goal, in my opinion, was... A bit of luck on their part for beating the offside trap. Mm-hmm. A lot of skill from Zapata for getting into the position that he wasn't finishing how he did as well. And again, really poor from De Gea. Um, so, I mean, we'll, we'll go into 
different players in another podcast because we haven't got the time to talk about how badly yeah. uh, De Gea needs to improve by the age of 29. And he already is 29, by the yeah. way, I think probably. Yeah. So I think this is the thing. You say that you had a clean sheet, but that doesn't mean anything if you're going to then walk out in the next game yeah. and then... No, you're absolutely right. So what the point I was trying to make was that Ollie has has been forced into these changes. Yeah. So he's he's changed the formation. He's he's had to do something to to try and make us uh, defensively st- stronger than what we were. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that first game, we were. Yeah, you know, we uh, Spurs didn't have a shot on target in that entire match. But the caveat is Spurs were absolutely terrible. I mean, they yeah. really were. Like I said, you know, if, if Harry Kane's not on song. You've only got a Mark Son out of the game, and there's got there's no goals coming from anywhere else. Yeah. Um, so, so yes, we he, he he's in full blown job preservation mode at the moment. I mean, he's literally having to do something to try and change this bad run. You know, what, during the last international break, um, he said that him and his team spent the whole time looking at and analysing why we were giving up so many chances. We came back after the international break, conceded 11 in three games. You know, yeah. We, we did four away at Leicester and he brought with Harry Maguire, who'd had one training session following injury. Uh, we conceded four. Uh, yeah. Maguire was at fault for a couple of the goals. We conceded five against Liverpool and then we also conceded two against uh, Atalanta at home, which we scraped through second half FC again, 3-2. Um, <laughs> you know, we, so, so to... So as I was saying, he's he's in full job preservation mode. He's trying yeah. trying something to just stop us from uh, conceding. And and to be fair, we've we've won one, we've drawn one. Um, we were lucky to to scrape the draw today. Um, and then but we've this, got City on the weekend, which could be could fatal, be curtains I for think it. I think fatal is the word. So here's the thing: Does Nuno getting sacked take that pressure off Oli? Do you know what? I think it does. I think. There was there was a lot of clamours amongst the United support for Conte to come in. I can understand the reasons why people didn't want it. They, you know, it's not the the United way and all this sort of stuff. You know, United always played with wingers and youth and all that, and that's not Conte's way. We, mm-hmm. United have never really been a a, a five at the back team or, or wing backs. Uh, well, Con- Conte's about results, million. isn't he? Right. Conte's yeah. about coming in and give me two years and I will win you two trophies. Yeah, yeah, but you, you know, we we. Ollie's chased uh, Sancho for two years. He spent seventy-five million to bring him in, and Same by playing bench. five at the back with wing backs, he's he's not even he's not even getting shot. He came him and Donny well, van Beek, who who came on today for the last five minutes. They came on without warming up. They literally said he just threw them on. You know, it was yeah, it was like a last throw of the dice. Really, he took well, Bruno off from Pogba, and and you know, if it weren't for a piece of Ronaldo magic, uh, we. We would have lost that and then been in real trouble in the Champions League. I think this this is where you can look out maybe with United, actually. It's a systemic issue of... I, I would I would akin it to something like being a royalist. And, and I mean this in the sense that the royal, the royal family is an institution, it's fantastic because they're the royal family. And with United, it's like, we've got this way of playing. It doesn't matter who our manager is or who our player is players are will play this yeah. way you look at someone like yeah. arsenal arsenal had changed in the way they play you know they used to play very aggressively and they used to play very physically then they changed it and they played very um you know sort of tactically and you know arsene wenger was you know someone who would have a mixture of both but he was trying to move them towards a more technically gifted 
then you look at them now and it's like, you know, they had a, a very, very bad period and they're still sort of coming out of that. But Mikel Arteta, actually, credit to the guy, he's doing quite a good job at the moment in getting them back to where they need to be. But United seem to constantly be like, Ollie's our guy, he played for us for years, he's our man, yeah. even to the point where it was like, I, I think this, this is going to be a very controversial statement. I think Alex Ferguson needs to move away from the club. I think he needs to get away from the club. He needs to step down from the board, which I know that he's on. He needs to move away from the club, sit back. There needs to be someone who comes in with fresh eyes and says, this institution needs these changes. And it needs almost... So we can go into this in a bit more detail another time, but I'd like to really dial in with, with you as a United fan, whether you would happily see yourself, say, for example, another five years of top four, basically basically Arsenal in the, the 2010s, the late 20, 2000s, early 2010s, get top four consistently every single year, don't really challenge for the title, but you do enough that you can to get by, win a couple of FA Cups along the way. But by doing that, you can build your background so that you are a club that can function without having to have a manager only for 10, 20 years. Yeah. So, so I, I think firstly talking about uh, Sir Alex Ferguson, you're not the first person to say that. Uh, certainly that's been uh, put out there about him needing to move away. But, but the caveat is how do you say that to the man who basically built United to what it, what it is? I mean, he's, he's a, He's a legend to every United fan, and, and hey, you know, Kenny, Dalg- Kenny Dalglish for Liverpool. Kenny Dalglish is Mr. Liverpool, and when it was the right time for him, he went and he came back later. Uh, granted, Alex Ferguson's four hundred years old. Alex Ferguson's older. Do you know what I mean? Like Kenny Dalglish yeah. went to Blackburn and he went to Celtic and he went to you know other teams, and then he. Ca- I mean, I don't think he actually went on the board at Liverpool until he came back as a manager for Liverpool for six months and then left and then went onto the board. But that was more a, I don't think, I don't think you'll see Kenny or someone like Ian Rush, who's constantly around Liverpool. And this was after like, you know, 20, 30 years of Liverpool actually just smashing everything. And, and that's why I think that the Ferguson shouldn't be there. Not because how do you say step away? It's in my opinion, arrogant of him to stay you've got to remember though he's the only football man on our board every single other person on our board that from the glazers to to the people that run the club uh, behind the scenes are all just businessmen they're they're, yeah. they're, they're americans they're not massively into uh, football they don't you know, they've got they've got other they've got other interests whether it's the tampa bay buccaneers and they recently the glazers tried to buy a, a, an ipo cricket team that failed uh, they yeah. bid a bit over a billion for it apparently um <laughs> so they so they've got that they're not football people and i think they just they buy into this whole united thing and, and ollie and football people like ollie and that will tell them their plan and they will they think it's it's great and that these guys know uh, these guys are the specialists and subsequently know the the best things to do so i, I think one thing is this was not on our agenda i think we do need to move on otherwise we're going to be yeah. here for hours right yep but for me, just to leave on, or maybe this note on on the United bit, and we'll, we'll revisit this. I think we could we could probably look at um, the way that, that the Premier League sets up their owners 
or you know owners set up Premier League clubs. But I think for for Manchester United to progress, you kind of need to regress for a bit more than you have so already. Not into the not getting into Europe type Manchester United, but definitely getting into a point where you're like consistently doing something, but also changing enough stuff in the background so that you're not relying on on these people. Because I think by relying on someone like Ferguson, it just doesn't make sense. Whereas you know, right, I mean, right, I'm not being funny here, but right now you could bring in Steve Bruce, who's a bit younger than Fergie. You could bring in Mark Hughes. Um, you know, I don't I don't think you should go as far as bringing in Lee Sharp, but you could definitely <laughs> you could definitely bring in some like really good footballing minds. Mike Thielen could be in there. He was fantastic for United for that time. Anyway, I know that you want to say more on that. I apologize for not letting you, but we are That's two right. as we said at the top of the podcast, we are two people that like to talk a lot and like to talk about football. <laughs> And unless people want to listen to us for an hour and a half, which who knows, we might be really impressing people, Ben. We might be smashing this right now and they might might be going, oh, do you know what, guys? You just carry on talking about about that. Um, So I think we can move over to another United, another Northern team. We can look at Newcastle United, who in the last 24 hours have smashed something into our faces that we just not expect to come. So I won't give you the same timeline as Spurs, but basically... um, the, the, the new owners of, of Newcastle United took over. They left it about a week or so. They gave Steve Bruce his final game and then they sacked him. I don't think that was the right option at that point, if I'm honest with you. I think Steve Bruce did deserve a bit more time with, with a bit more of a consistency in the background. But new owners like their own people in. Um, so for the last couple of games, they've had um, Graham Jones, almost a grandpa there. I didn't add Graham Jones in who got a draw and lost to the mighty, mighty Chelsea. So, uh, you know, but the person who they're looking to bring in, and apparently it will be done by Saturday, which, by the way, we heard this about um, Paolo Fonseca as well. We heard it was going to be all done and it was all fine. And they had his 14th interview or whatever it was, and it was all going to get done. Unai Emery coming in from Villarreal, Ben, thoughts? I think it's come right out of left field. I didn't expect Emery to uh, to come in. And isn't he's not been sacked by Villarreal though, has he? He's still he's still there. They're they're approaching Villarreal to sign him. So they've paid eight million pounds to sack Steve Bruce, and now they're going to pay some money to get Unai Emery, Europa League winning manager, multiple you know, Europa leagues as well. Yeah, um, but but current manager, yeah, uh, yeah. And also brought Villarreal their first silverware, so their first senior silverware. My, um, so my, there's, there's a few things that actually I've just realised. So I did a little bit of research into this as well. They're in the Champions League. <clears throat> you know this. They're playing Manchester United in that in that league at the moment. Uh, how did they get on tonight? Do you know? Um, do you know what? I don't. Uh, uh, Villarreal beat Young Boys 2-0. There you go. Okay. So that does mean, I remember, they're in Group F. They are second, joint top with, I think it's Manchester United. don't know who that is. <laughs> um, joint, joint top with Man U at the moment in their Champions League group on seven points. Their goal difference is plus four. Yours is plus one, by the way. Mm-hmm. But they are 13th in La Liga. Um which might mean that Unai is actually a bit more of a European specialist. Um, so it's very interesting that you said, has he been sacked? So here's my question, right? 
why would you leave Villarreal? And given the state they are in the league at the moment, is he being is he leaving before he's being pushed? So I'm going to be honest, I haven't been following their league form at all. It's poor. I know that. Yeah, I know. But in in Europe, certainly, we, you know, United have played them a few times over the the last season, Europa League final, and uh, already in the Champions League, they are a, a solid team that are difficult to beat in Europe. Um, They've got a couple of decent players, um, but I, if I was Emery, and the opportunity to manage Newcastle under new ownership, that probably wants to make a bit of a splash in uh, the league, will give him. Let's be honest, an absolute. They're going to give. They're going to give him about one hundred and fifty million, though. I mean, I know that's yeah, my. That seems to be like definitely. my round figure tonight for just how much people yeah. spend, but. I think given that you can spend about 200 million in a season, they've obviously sat to see Bruce, they've got the other stuff, they've got to get him in. I reckon it'll be about 150. Their league form at the moment is uh, they have lost, basically in the last five, they've lost three, drawn two, won one. They have only won two out of their 11 games this season. So so the thing, and thinking about Emery, if he does take over at Newcastle, he is a very... uh, uh, a ball on the ground, pass it around, uh, slow control possession type manager. Yeah. I don't think Newcastle have the players for it. So my Not question is, is, is who do you, you're Unai Emery, you've taken over at Newcastle, you've been given 150 million, who do you bring in? Oh, mate, this is a great question. Do you know why it's a great question? I was watching Sky Sports YouTube earlier and they had a... They gave one of, I mean, I can't remember the names of these guys. You know, the Saturday morning program where it's basically, and I'm, I don't mean this disrespectfully, it's a few YouTubers that go on there um, with one of the guys who used to do a weird segment on Soccer AM where he'd be the away fans person, right? You know what I mean, right? A fair play to him for getting on there. But basically, they asked one of the guys, they said, you're the new sporting director of, of Newcastle United you get to pick one player from every other team that Newcastle can realistically buy. So don't say Salah, you know, don't say Lukaku, don't say Ronaldo, but who can you realistically buy? Now, the one that came up that everyone really agreed that was was reasonable that that could happen is James Tarkovsky, because he's in the last year of his contract at Burnley. He's a solid defender. He'll shore them up at the back. And, and that that should be quite good for him, right? Someone said Wilf Saha. So he said Wilf Saha for his, for his Crystal Palace pick. And I think that's such a good idea because actually, like, Wilf needs something that's a bit different. He seems a bit like a, a what's the word I'm looking for? Um, diver? No, that's not it. Um, hmm. <laughs> no, he's, he's, he's Enigma, isn't he? He's like a, he's like a, a little... A guy who no one really knows what he's going to do next, and he's, he's just this sort of enigmatic kind of uh, maverick is the word I'm looking for. He's like he's a, he's a little maverick, and I think he's been every single year wanting to leave Palace. No one's going to pay the money for him. He's now at a point where Palace could probably do with sixty million, sixty-five mil. Newcastle will spend it. They get a really like you know nearly top tier signing in my opinion you know he's sort of just below everyone else that's actually you know mm-hmm. sort of impressive yeah. so I think in, but in terms of what you're saying I think you're right I don't I don't think Tarkovsky does that I don't think 
Wolf Zaha does that really because you need the players around him. Although if you can imagine like if they could bring in a good striker as well, Alanta Maxman with Zaha and say someone like Ivan Tony. Unreal. Yeah, um, but I think you I think what they need to focus on is their midfield. Because actually you look at their defense and you go, well, Kieran Clark actually is solid in the sense that I think he can play good football. Um Bravka's a good goalkeeper. They've got Jamal Lewis at left back, I think. Um Lascelles at centre back as well, who's pretty mm-hmm. solid. But you look at their midfield and you've got like Colbert. I think Jack Colbert's still there. You quote me if I'm wrong. Yeah. And then you've got like um the Wags- got the long staff. Long staff, not white staff, long staff brothers. John Joe Shelby. You've got these like yeah. no one there basically says, I'm gonna I wanna smash everyone out of the park, win the ball back, run my legs off. You know, I, I think you could look at a player and who realistically could they get? This, this is the problem. I think what's going to end up happening, they're going to dip into Europe. They're going to find these little gems. And who I, I, I would, I will put my pounds on it that you will get someone from Sevilla. Uh, Villarreal, sorry. Oh, sorry, sorry. Torres, centre-back. Uh, no, he's too good for... He's too good, he's for too good but there's a lot of money uh, on the table. I think it'll uh, be someone... Pau Torres turned down Spurs in the, in the summer. I yeah, that. exactly. So he's not... I think it'll be someone like Chiquese, or I'm just looking now, like Dan Juma's there. Um, I think they're very good, like, forward players. Gerard Moreno might be someone to come up front. Um yeah, I think I think there's there's a decent. I mean, even oh, I mean that Etienne Capoue, maybe the old Spurs player. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he he might be someone who would go. I don't I don't think these are like huge. I mean, you have got um, Francis Coquelin. I don't think these are huge players. Like in terms of they're not no. a signing. But then I don't think they are going to get a sign in that basically goes, boom! Like we've got this now no, and we're I, we're doing I think, great. I think their owners would like to make a statement signing in January. Um, who that is, I don't know. I, I, yeah. couldn't, I couldn't tell you. Um, you know, people mentioned to me uh, Newcastle might come in for, for someone like Lingard after seeing what he did at West Ham last year. Yeah. And um, I mean, well, Lingard's on a free, on a free at the end of the season. So, so I, I um, think you've got these people. I think you've. I think who they realistically have that's like a top tier sign in is you've got Lingard who could possibly go. I think you've got someone like Deli Ali that could go. And that's sorry when I say top tier, I mean like top six <laughs> right I think these people that you can get into there Deli Alley, I think yeah so I think Lingard you've also got someone like I think if they came in for like Callum hudson Doy and offered 60 million Chelsea would take it I think if they offered Barcelona 70 million for Coutinho he'd be with them tomorrow yeah I don't think hudson Doy would go I think he's 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 been uh, I say he's turned down or he refused to go to Bayern a couple of times, wasn't he? I'd be I'd be surprised if he went to Newcastle after after being linked to a to a, a, a European giant like Bayern. Yeah, but we, I'd, we didn't I'd want be to we, we didn't want to sell him. No, yeah, that's yeah, absolutely right. But I also think so Callum Hudson was one of those people that at that point he'd shown in about five or six games glimpses that he was really good. And then we kept him, and then he's proven. I mean, he had an injury. Fair enough, he had an injury, but I think he's then shown that he's not as good as he was. So I think 
him thinking of an £80 million move to Bayern Munich is dreamland. Him being the centre of attention at Newcastle for a young kid, 2021, might be good for him. Anyway, I think this is... Let's focus on the manager. I think it's him bringing people in is one thing, but then if it is him, and it seems like it will be him, the other people that you had up there as well were Paolo Fonseca, it was Eddie Howe, Brendan Rogers was sounded out for it as well, um, Stevie G was sounded out for that job also. Out of those list of players, uh, managers, sorry, are they getting the right person for their team? For, and I mean their squad at the moment. Yeah. I, I... <sighs> I don't think so. Um, I said this. This sort of these links uh, about Emery came right out of left field, completely unexpected. Um, and I, like I said, I've, I've said already, you know, they just don't have the players to implement his style of football currently. If he can, if he does come in and he, he solidifies them and gets them to January, then he can start buying players that that can can implement his his uh, philosophy if you want a better way of describing it then then maybe I, I think mm-hmm. of the of the managers that you've listed uh, the best choice for Newcastle would probably have been in my opinion Brendan Rogers I think he's proven that he can uh, but he'd have never come Im- no I, I'm sure he would have been happy to stay at Leicester and, and not uh, not take on such a big project such as uh, Newcastle at this point and let's be honest, it is yeah. a big, big project. Um, but I think if if money was no object, as it is with Newcastle now and their owners, then you know you, you could probably convince someone like Brendan Rodgers to, to come there and um, like promising the world a lot of money to spend and um, and the time to to implement the way he plays. And and you know he's he's done amazing with Leicester. You can't you know the the signings yeah. that he's made. He's got he's got a really good structure behind him. The, the signings, you know, uh, Tielemans and, and uh, people like that. that he's Soyuncu. Um, uh, yeah, if you look, um, Tielemans, Soyuncu, you then had, um, was it Fafana, who is, is yeah, injured Wesley now, Fafana. but is is very good player. I think you've got James Justin, or just is it James Justin? Justin James? You can tell that it's late here. Um, he's got, you know, Daka, who's coming in and played very well. Yeah. Ikenacho, I don't know who was there before. I don't think he was, but Ikenacho is looking great. Um, he's sort of coming to fruition now. Um, I think I, I, I personally think that this is one of those really weird managerial positions where this is not just being their manager. Because if it was just being their manager and it was just coming in be our manager, that it's fine. You're basically the face. You have to have an ego to come into this job and go, I'm good enough to, you know, play for a free hundred billion you know pound club so i think this this is for me let's look back at other people that have had a huge transfer right a huge takeover really only two isn't it i i don't know enough about psg but they had a huge takeover at some point i'm not sure who but i think there's like the 2000s or something right so chelsea 2003 roman abramovich buys chelsea for 140 million pound or something like that uh yeah, so he bought them for the amount that for less than what Mbappe cost. Bought a whole football club. Took him a year to bring in Mourinho and sack Claudio Ranieri. So didn't sack 
didn't sack the manager straight away, waited a year. Claudio got us into Europe and then got sacked and then they brought in Marino, which I think is why Claudio Ranieri is still much loved at, at Chelsea um, because it, it wouldn't have happened. Like We wouldn't have been where we are today without him. And then I think Mark Hughes was the manager that Man City took over with. I'm pretty yeah. sure that's right. So it was Mark what? Hughes. And I read this because it was all about, you know, with Newcastle recently. The new owners were taking over Man City, but they wouldn't take over Man City until Man City bought Rubinho. Everyone thinks Rubinho came after the takeover, but the, the, the new owners basically said, we are not doing anything until you buy Rubinho. He's our, he is our person. Um, now he's a sketchy character, to say the least. But then you had Mark Hughes, and then obviously he left, Mancini came in and success, right? I think that was the way it went. Um, this feels like they've skipped. This was like Newcastle always like learned from what those two clubs did and gone, you know what, well, we're going to get in. I was, I was going to say a high-caliber manager. If you look at his CV, uh, you've got a couple of low-level Spanish clubs, then Valencia, Spartak Moscow, Sevilla, PSG, Arsenal, Villarreal. At his time with Sevilla, I think he won two or three Europa Leagues. He won yeah. one with Villarreal. I don't have the stats here, but I imagine he won the league with... Uh, the league and the and the FA Cup yeah. or the French Cup with, with PSG, but it's not a, it's it's not a huge CV, but it's big enough that Newcastle fans are going, wow, this is incredible for us. He got to the Europa League final last night as well, didn't he? Yeah, he did. So, so, so he he is like he is like Mister Europa League. I mean, it's you know he's, but again, it, it just comes down to the squad that Newcastle have got at the moment is yeah. not conducive to play the 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 style or. The, the philosophy that he has. So, like I said, the best thing that, that Newcastle fans can hope for at the moment is if if Emery does come in, is he he muddles through, as, makes them as difficult to beat as they can until January, and then brings in some players that can implement that, even if that's short term or um, or hungry players that want to want to prove themselves. Because I think. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, yeah, the Newcastle job is always a massive job. It's it's uh, you know it's a, it's a one city club. It's it's banging the centre of, uh, of the city. Uh, Fifty thousand fans there every week. You know, he's now got owners with an unlimited amount of money. Yeah, he's going to have the opportunity to really mould that club the way he wants. But will he get the time to do it? Yeah, I'm I'm going to leave this part of it. I'm going to leave the Newcastle chat on this thought. If Rafa Benitez knew that this was going to happen, he would not have taken the Everton job. That's, that's a good shout. I, and I he think, would I and think, he would currently be Newcastle's new manager. Yeah, I think Newcastle fans would would absolutely take him back tomorrow. I think yeah, I think they love him over there. He he basically uh, he basically left because he he wasn't going to get anything from Mike Ashley and he needed money. Yeah. Imagine if he now I mean Rafa Benitez won the Champions League with Jimmy Traore at left back and Dietmar Harman coming onto the pitch and a broken Harry Kuehl and you know Milan Barros up front with uh, you know it's it's, uh, it's that sort of character who then you know wins the league with Valencia you know their their only league title for many many years and I think you know for him if he if he went into Newcastle now he doesn't 
it's not like with Emery, where Emery has a bit of a CV. Rafa Benitez has 20 years of experience yeah. and a big, like, you know, black book of people that he's saying, yeah. I know what I'm doing with, with football and I won this, this, this and this. And this is my style of play. He's just lost his, his first, his last three matches at Evan, by the way. So I'm surprised it didn't kind of materialise that Newcastle, like, our fans love you, take eight million and we'll have him. And you can have Emery. But anyway. Yeah. Um, so Newcastle, like I say, is a bit of a weird one, but we were chatting to some friends this morning on WhatsApp, weren't we? And one of our mates turned around to us and said, what if you could only change managers in the transfer window? And that opens the first of our recurring segments, which is what if. So we're going to throw out to you every single week a new what if, and that what if could be, for example, this week, what if only change, uh, what if you could only change managers in the transfer window? There could be others. I mean, we had a load of uh, ones we, we looked at this morning. Um, what if you had an international team that didn't play club football, but your international team basically were those players and that manager and they all trained together every week and they played together every week? What if penalties didn't exist in football? What if football was um, three 30-minute thirds rather than two 45-minute halves? So we've got a lot of stuff that will take us up at least for four weeks' worth of content. Um, so if you do have any ideas on what you could what if, um, comment in the section down below. And don't forget to like and subscribe. Just plug that for the first time. Um, so I have got some stats for you, Ben, as always. 55%, so 11, of the Premier League, of the current Premier League teams changed their manager to their current manager outside of a regular transfer window. 45% or nine of the teams within that did it within the transfer windows. Only one of those happened in January, which was Chelsea, which was Thomas Tuchel, January of last year, uh, this year. Christ, it's been a long year, hasn't it? Um, so it seems like this half and half, basically. I suppose the concept here basically is, as it says, so... June 1st or July 1st, I actually do forget which one it is, but the first of a month that starts with J comes along mm -hmm. and every team in the world can change their, their manager. And they can go, you had a crap season last season. I'm going to bring in a new manager. You're gone and you come in and we'll buy someone else and we've got a bit of time. Or 1st of January comes around and that all happens again. What do you think? What are your thoughts, Ben? So, firstly, the, the point of the transfer windows uh, originally was to encourage managers to, the onus was then put on managers to coach and improve their players and, and mm. get the best out of the scores they had. Uh, previously, before that, you know, a team could go out and spend 40 million on a player midway through the season to, to hopefully change their, um, change their season around or to... to uh, disrupt another team season. Yeah, I always think of um, United signing Andy Cole from Newcastle many years ago yeah. and stuff like that, and, and, and completely sort of disrupting um, Newcastle's season and stuff. I think Figo um, as well went from yeah, went absolutely. Madrid, yeah, uh, for uh, for a slightly more famous uh, transfer certainly. But um, <laughs> but but I I fundamentally I I quite agree with it. I like the idea that that clubs being forced to only buy players in transfer windows should 
have the same thing with with uh, removing managers. Now, to caveat that, I think what would be good is uh, if a club is uh, struggling um, and they want to get rid of their manager, that's absolutely fine outside of the transfer windows. But what they have to do is they should put the manager on gardening leave. They should keep him. And, uh, the manager can't sign for a new club until the next transfer window, but they must replace him with someone from within. So they must have a, a coach come in. They must have yeah. uh, their director of football or someone, their, their academy head or something, to come in and oversee the first team until the transfer window opens where they can then appoint a new manager. Now, there is a lovely first that's about to happen on the podcast, Ben, because I'm about to tell you that you're an idiot and that's stupid. <laughs> I'm... I'm fully expected that i the thought of of it because the, the thing where that's fine right so let's say for example at the moment Ole Gunnar Solskjaer gets put on gardening leave till january 1st yeah and then you have to put someone in from within your team from within your club right yeah so you put in michael carrick who's got no experience you put in darren fletcher <laughs> who's got no experience you put in mike Thielen, who has proven as a manager is bad when he was a whole. That is, I can see what you're saying in the sense that you shouldn't be picking and ruining other people's seasons. But also at the same time, that rule in itself is stupid because no one's going to do it. Because, I mean, some people might, whereas, you know, you might find like a Spurs will do it because Daniel Levy is an idiot or you might find that they put, you know, I don't know, Graham Jones in charge of Newcastle for a couple of going. But that's, that's uh, I, I personally, I, I think it could only work in one way, and that's if you can only do it during the summer. So I think January, again, the whole point of it is to not disrupt people's seasons. If you're taking a manager from a club, or, or you know, essentially having to take a, a you know jobless manager. So here's the thing, I put pros and cons on this because I thought it's going to be a contentious thing anyway because people are not going to like it because, you know, Spurs fans wanted to get rid of Nuno. They wouldn't have been able to until Jan. The same way yeah. that you're saying that the reason the transfer window was brought in was to train your team. What we're saying here is a manager should have time to readjust his team to make it work. So the pros of this are managers are given more time to get their team working. And I actually think it gives you more excitement leading up to the transfer window or even leading up to the mid-season window if that's what you're doing, right? You get a lot more excitement. You're like, oh, what manager's going to leave? What manager's going to stay? And the cons I put here, and excuse my uh, my language for a second, but if your team is in the shit, then it will cause even more shit. And that, that's that's true, isn't it? You know, if your team is, yeah. is playing poorly and you can't sack your manager and get someone in who's going to change the tactics a little bit, essentially you, you're going to have other issues as well. Um, and this is another thing that I think people look at and they go, oh, well, actually, it's always been that way. It's always been that way with football. But for me, I think managers probably deserve more protection. Yeah, they do. And I think that that's the whole the whole point. I think if you if you say a manager can't um, can't be sacked or, or can't be replaced. Um, until a transfer window, you, you know, as a board, uh, as, as a club, you are 
forcing yourself to, to back that manager. If if it becomes completely untenable, you know, toxic Jose, year three toxic Jose as, as, as a United fan, we've experienced it, you know, then you do, you, you put them on guarding leave and you, you, you appoint someone from within the club to, to basically man the fort until, uh, until the, the transfer window opens and, the, and then you can make approaches. You know, we all know with transfers that, that transfers aren't done just in the transfer windows. You know, uh, agents are reaching out, clubs are, are speaking, to, speaking to people beforehand, you know, United chased Sancho for, for two years. There's no way you're telling me they just did it over the transfer windows at all. Yeah. But, uh, but I'm, I'm looking at, um, like let's take Watford for an example. Watford sack managers for fun. I mean, they they've had more managers than promotions over the last few years. But I mean, if you if you look at, I don't know they've been quite a yo-yo club. I don't think that's quite true no, though. <laughs> no, no, this is true. Yeah, but if you if you look at it since um, uh, Slavisa Djukanovic in in twenty fifteen, they've had one. Two, uh, they had Kike Sanchez Flores, Walter Mazzari, Marco Silva, Javi Garcia, uh, Gracia. Kike Sanchez Flores again, Hayden hmm. Mullins, Nigel Pearson, Hayden Mullins again, Vladimir Ivic, Cisco, and Claudio Ranieri. That's eleven managers in five years. Yeah, uh, that's that's insane. You know, that's that. You, know, uh, you you're telling me you, you take over managing uh, a club like Watford, you get five months, or, uh, six months, maybe half a year if you're lucky. You know, yeah. How much time is that to? I, I will say I, I, to, I don't. Given the fact that Hayden Mullins is in there a couple of times as caretaker or interim, I don't know that necessarily that's... I think it's... You're being unfair, but it's like fair, you know? It's almost as if they are bad, but, you know, the way you've said it does make them sound a little bit worse. I think this this is one of my questions that I actually written down and I would like to get to it. I think we've probably got about 15 minutes that we can go still on this because we've got to get some other stuff in, obviously. But club sack managers when they're doing bad. They don't sack players when they're doing bad. Players are much more, uh, much more of an asset to the club than the manager is. Uh, Why? Uh, this, this is the thing. Are, are expendable. Well, you say this, the Premier League has 20 teams, 25-man squad per... Someone else can do the math for me if that's all right. What is 500 players? Okay. Yeah, let's see. Yeah. So you're telling me that you've got 500 players, but they're all an asset. But you've only got 20 managers, but they're disp- they're disposable. Uh, you you got to remember that that uh, a manager, in, in essence, isn't the one selling shirts, isn't the one uh, that's leading the, the sort of the marketing campaigns and the advertising, bringing in the advertising revenue. Yeah. You don't see, you don't see, uh, oh, you might see Jürgen Klopp, I think, of, I'm trying to think of other people. But, <laughs> Jürgen, but Klopp's, you, you, Jürgen Klopp literally <laughs> sells beer as his yeah, part-time well, exactly. job. Yeah, he I mean, sells, he's, he's the, the face of a beer. Like, he, I think as but, a United fan, I can respect that. But, you, <laughs> but what my point was, is you, is you find, is you, you wouldn't find, um, uh, I, I use United as an example. You wouldn't find Oli Solskjaer leading uh, an advertising campaign for one of the United sponsors. It would always he's boring. be your renounced. Well, exactly. So there is there is a lot more intrinsic value and a lot more investment goes into some of these players. You know, again, you spend uh, eighty million on Harry Maguire. 
you're not going to sack him for being rubbish. And let's be honest, he's been bad this season. He was good last. He was fairly good last season and, and pretty good good in the Euro Spring. But, but he's been but, really bad this season. But, but this you're is not kind of my sack point. Him for being bad. So the, the, what I've literally put here. So I put why do clubs sack players but not players if they're also really poor? Money disparity. And that's exactly what I put. Now, I think it's wrong. I I I, I remember as as a, a younger man. Not a yeah, still a young man, obviously. But as a younger man, I posted something on Instagram or Facebook or something, which is basically uh, the Man City owner, Sheikh Mansour, I think, isn't it? With a load of and his face and a load of bills, like a million dollar bill. And I was like, money's ruining football. And that must have been and I haven't used Facebook for years, but that must have been like ten years ago, right? whenever they came in now money does ruin football in my opinion because you do have situations like this where you're going to sack um and here's the thing you're going to sack a manager for being bad but you won't sack a player for being bad only if they basically you know, break their contract and they doesn't look good for the club but if a player can play badly for two years and then get better a manager can manage badly for six months and get better and I think Alex Ferguson proved that, didn't he? Yeah, uh, there was there were signs up in Old Trafford. You know, Tara Fergie, five years enough excuses. You know, uh, they they wanted him gone. Um, just so happened that yes, he, he managed to turn it round. But you know, clubs clubs their businesses in the they they invest a lot of money into their playing assets, and you're not just going to write off an asset that is X amount of uh, millions of pounds. Yes, uh, by sacking a manager uh, that you've given a ridiculously long contract to is going to cost you a lot of money. But in yeah. the long term, in the long term, the, the return on investment for uh, on a player is is much more significantly higher than, than, than it is on a manager. I don't want to turn into a business talk, but I mean, that's very rudimentary, my rudimentary understanding of, of the way clubs operate. So, And, and I agree. However, I am the sort of person who hates the fact that football clubs are businesses. And, and I think that, that, that's, that's what it comes down to for me, is that I don't agree that you should run your football club like a business, and this is where the money's ruined it. It's things like my local club that I'm a season ticket holder at, Harlow Town Football Club, go Hawks. We, um, <laughs> we have a, a, what used to be called Harlow Arena. It used to be called Barrows Farm, actually now the McCulloch Arena at some point, and then moved to like, you know, the Harlow Arena. And it's called the Harlow Arena because it's not a football stadium anymore. It's a football stadium and it's a gym and it's got a marquee outside where they have weddings there and they have events. And you could always like, you know, you could always have a party in the football club, but that even on a, a non-league level, the, the money issues are there as such that you have to run it as a business and it should be run as a football club. I should be able to walk up... I, they changed a, a pre-season friendly to a half 12 kickoff during the summer because someone was getting married in the afternoon and they had to have all the players, <laughs> they had to have all the players out. And, and it's just like, why have I got to like, you know, have a, I'm cheering on my football team and people are walking past me with a wedding cake, asking me to be, you know, it didn't happen, but, um, you know, <laughs> if, you, if you can't lie on a national podcast, what can you do? Um, okay, so... <laughs> 
I think when it when it comes to uh, what we're basically saying, and I think we should do this at the end of every what if, what we're basically saying is yes, bring in transfer windows for managers. I think so. Excellent. Um, okay, so last segment of the day, or evening, or night, whichever you're listening to this. For us, it's about two in the morning. It feels. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I did say. I did say we like to talk. You all heard it to begin with. You said you can't complain that we're an hour lieutenant. Right, okay. So we can do this every week. Red card. And then what initially we thought was green card, which basically is a good person, but basically is our red card of the week and our MVP of the week, most valuable person. Ben, do you want to go first? What's your red card of the week? Or what did we can do? Do MVP first? Red card of the week was... Yeah, let's let's do MVP first. Let's do yeah. MVP. We'll, we'll, so we'll do what we do best. We'll end on a sour note. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. Yeah, go for That's it. Pretty much us. Um, okay, so uh, my uh, player of the week. So this was a tough one because I uh, I initially thought following the uh, let's be honest shock result uh, between Palace and Man City at the Etihad. Um, yep. I, I thought um, I was going to give my MVP of the week to, to Patrick Vieira, who's who's I think done really well since he's come into to Palace. Yeah, but but um, and it's not a player; it's a coach that I'm going for. My um, my MVP of the week is David Moyes at West Ham. Um, I think if you look at their form, they've drawn two, lost two. Uh, and won every other game they've played. Uh, one of the games they lost, they lost to United to an 89th minute Lingard winner. So they they were yeah. unlucky to not draw that. Um, mm-hmm. They've beaten Leicester. They've beaten Newcastle. They, they're top of their Europa League group. Um, they beat Man City on penalties in the Carabao Cup. Stopped City winning uh, five Carabao Cups in a row. I think they won it four years in a row. Yeah. Um, my my MVP of the week was was unquestionably. David Boyce. Yeah. West Ham actually have the, the same form as Chelsea at the moment. So one, four, lost one in their last uh, five. But, oh, and can I just say, they absolutely spanked Aston Villa at the weekend at, at Villa Park. They um, did. They, they did it to Aston those, Villa. For those that don't know us, there's one of, our, one of our friends is a very big Aston Villa fan and he will really appreciate you mentioning that. He'll appreciate even more who my red card is then. Um, so, but my my MVP, you mentioned there that yours is David Moyes. Mine is the game that you didn't want to give the MVP to Patrick Vieira for. And you might think I'm about to say Wilf Zaha, particularly as I mentioned him earlier, but Conor Gallagher, on loan from Chelsea, he has had a smashing season so far. He... For people that are unaware, he was on loan at Charlton, I believe the start of last season. Oh, no, sorry, the season before. So two seasons ago, on loan at Charlton for the first half of the season, went on loan to Swansea, did really well, played a good pre-season, got loaned out to West Brom, got relegated, came back to Chelsea. I watched him in pre-season a couple of times. He looked really strong. He looked really good. He was very fast on the ball, very quick to the ball, which is important, I think, for us. And then he gets loaned out um, to Palace under a, a new manager, which is obviously um, 
Patrick Vieira. Now he's just smashed it. And that game, you so Ben said to me earlier, didn't you, mate, that Zaha actually ran that game. But if you look at Conor Gallagher in that game, he ran that midfield and he was closing down that Man City midfield. And I think the guy's got a huge future. A shout out, by the way, to Graham Potter, who got his Brighton team back from 2-0 down um, at Anfield. You know, a couple of lucky VAR calls aside. So he was my close second. But Conor Gallagher is my my MVP of the week. Just just talking about that game, I know I said to you, if I was picking a, a player, then I would have gone with Zaha. Simply, uh, Zaha scored their first goal uh, against City in about the sixth minute. He was he yeah. turned uh, he turned Laporta uh, uh, for the red to, card to go through for the red card. Um, he's he's the first Palace player to score fifty Premier League goals, which is yeah. uh, is he really a ridiculous was that? stat? Yeah, he's a, yeah first Premier League uh, first Palace player to score fifty Premier League goals. Which you think? They, I mean, Benteke. I think this is one of the reasons I picked. Uh, I originally went with Vieira as, as sort of my MVP because I think he's he's got Odson Eduard, who I think is a great signing. He's got yeah. Benteke putting in a shift. We all know what it was like when he was at, uh, at Villa and Liverpool. Not really, you know, bench bench Teke was his name. He wasn't really putting in any effort, but he's doing that now. So I think Vieira deserves a lot of credit. But I just thought. Zaha was was a thorn in in City side all game. That's not to, yeah. to say that Conor Gallagher wasn't great. Uh, he was superb. I thought a goal and an assist, and I think everyone gave him man of the match uh, in their reviews afterwards. So it was a uh, you know if we're looking at performances of the week, West West Ham and Palace. There, I mean, right yeah, I mean this is the thing you could say that Palace as a, as a whole, you know, exactly what they're doing at the moment is is incredible because you take. I mean, Roy Hodgson, what I quite like about them, they, they were sort of up and down for a little bit. They got back into the Premier League. They stayed there for a bit, had a little bit of a bad spell. Um, and then you you had this situation where Roy Hodgson came in and Roy Hodgson's the guy who comes in. He's not a Sam Allardyce who's save us kind of thing. He is the guy that comes in and he blivers and he goes, let's get this right and let's just do this. And I've been doing this for 90 years now. And then he comes in and he does it and he does it really well. And he kept Palace where they needed to be and he kept them consistent. At a different part of the table that I think United should be at, but similar to how I was saying earlier, United to be really consistent with someone consistent for that time. And when he goes and you go, oh, Patrick Vieira's been at New York City. He's then gone to Nice. And I don't really know how he did it, Nice. I know he did quite well at New York City. I think he was, he was very well liked. He was very well liked. But to go to Palace, and I think in the summer, about 11 of, of their players left. That's right. um, yeah. Gary Cahill, Scott Dan, people like that, I think. Um, but he's done really well. He's brought in some really good players and yeah. he's brought through a bit of youth and he's, um, he's, he's done extremely well. Um, on the subject of managers, you mentioned... Aston Villa earlier being spanked at home. Yeah. Um, all the while, whilst they're being spanked at home, by the way, Wolverhampton Wanderers have the best form at the moment in the Premier League. Um, Aston Villa have um, the worst form in the Premier League at the moment. Um, just thought I'd throw that one out there. Um, <laughs> Dean, Dean Smith. Now, our mate who we're talking about is Jack. Now, Jack is not a fan of Dean Smith. I think it's fair to say Ben, isn't it, mate? Yeah, I think he, his words were, uh, he's taken us as far as we can go and it's time to get rid of him. Yeah. And um, I, I put my note here that just said, time to go, lad. And it is. I think 
they're in a very strange situation where New so Newcastle had a takeover where their their owners are worth three hundred billion, but like and enough enough money that you could buy every horse in the world. I think is how I'd describe it. Um, it's an obscene amount of money. You can't you can't do enough money. You can't do enough things with that sort of money. And Newcastle basically within financial fair play have that to play with. Aston Villa had a takeover. And their owners are worth about four billion or something. Like it's a huge amount of money, like huge. Mm-hmm. And they've said that they'll put a lot of that into the team. And they got the Grealish money during the summer, and they they spent it well, I think. And I genuinely do think that Leon Bailey, good signing. Leon Bailey, Danny Ings, very good signings. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're thirteenth, I think. I just saw. Uh, no, fifteenth. Sorry. 15th, yeah. 15th with three wins, a draw, and six losses. And, you know. Yeah. Same points as Watford and Leeds, uh, all, all on 10 points. So they're, yeah. you know, they're, they're only above them by one goal, to be fair. So I think this is the yeah. thing for me. Like, right. And it, it isn't just the. I think that this is the first time we've done this podcast. So it could just be seen as we're basically going, oh, well, we're just going to give people, you know, our MVP or the red card because we think that over the course of the season that they've done this, but actually, if you look at it as much as West Ham smashed Aston Villa, Aston Villa got smashed by West Ham. West Ham are fourth in the table. They're obviously a very good team this season. They were doing well last season as well, but it gets to a a stage kind of like what I think should have happened to Oli last season, last week where you get a really bad defeat at home and it kind of is a capitulation and a, an amalgamation of all of the different issues that you've had. Um, and for me, Dean Smith, in that situation, it only takes Newcastle, so it's Newcastle, Burnley, Watford and Leeds, and then Norwich are right off the down, right? Those are the people that are below them. Newcastle with a new manager, get some draws, a couple of wins, they're above Villa. Burnley get a bit of form back. They're above Villa. Leeds and Watford. Leeds are a fantastic team. We know this. They can play really good football. They get above Villa. All of a sudden, Dean Smith doesn't have a clue what he's doing, and they're in the relegation zone. You look at people that are like look at the people below them, and you say they could get above them. Look at the people above them, and you think, well, there's no way they're going to go down. Palace are playing fantastic at the moment. Brentford are playing fantastic. Leicester are great. Everton, Spurs are in the table. Um, you know, you've got Brighton, Wolves, Arsenal, and then obviously you've got all of us, right? You've got, you've got us champions on the top, right, Ben? Um, <laughs> but then the only people that I can see that actually at the moment in the table that I don't think Villa could lose against is Norwich. Yeah, I, I just don't see uh, Villa as uh, currently as a team that's that you'd be confident in any game other than against Norwich that they're going to go in it and into it and and be the outright favourites. I think they're, you know, they're, they're they're in a in a bunch of or a group of teams that that a result could go any way on any given day. Uh, Southampton, yeah. Watford, Leeds, Burnley, all of those teams, they're all capable of beating each other, uh, and Villa yeah. are right in right in there as well. If you if you take sort of Palace, Brentford, Leicester, they've all got. A target man, or they've all got—I hate to call it a talisman—but they've got match winners in their sides. Brentford with Ivan Tony, yeah. they, they, they've all got match winners. But you look 
in that sort of collection of teams that Villa are, are amongst. And there's not, you know, there's not a lot uh, differentiating between between those sides at all. No, there isn't. So, so, so is, is Dean Smith your red card of the week then? I should hope so. We've been talking about him for five minutes. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, he is. So, who is your red card, red stamped so, red card of the week? So I have, during the course of this uh, podcast, changed my mind. Good. So, so I think the one that you had was bad. Yeah. So initially, it was obviously going to be Nuno. Yeah. Um, uh, as it is, he's been sacked. And talk about kicking uh, a man while he's down. By the way, he's going to keep. I mean, I mean, a sack man. He's got children, probably. (laughs) He's just walked out with fourteen million quid. You know, I'm I'm sure he's not that bad. He'll take a few kick-ins for that. I think we all would. but, and now this may be, may be controversial, it may not be, it may be a surprise. My red card of the week goes to Pep Guardiola. Oh, I knew he was, I knew he was close for you. Because yeah. I think in the space of a week, he has uh, gone out uh, to West Ham in the Carabao Cup after having won, you know, he takes that tournament very seriously, you know, winning, winning the first trophy of the season, uh, breeds that winning mentality. Sets, sets the tone, um, doesn't it? It does. He's he's won that four years in a row with City, um, and also followed it up with with a loss in in the league to to Palace. Um, I think Palace played really well and and fully deserved the victory. And if you look at where they are, they're now. I know we're only ten games into the season, but they're <laughs> they're five five points behind Chelsea, two behind Liverpool. Uh, I think the the Grealish signing, whilst obviously a great player, they're seven seven goals behind Liverpool already this season. They're nine goals behind Chelsea already. They're, to me, they don't look like they're going to win Champions, the league yeah. by outscoring everybody. Um, I, think I think this. I think this proves how good Manchester City are because they lose in in. Oh, no, I will say this, and we might, if anyone ever listened to this, I might get crucified for this. A Mickey Mouse trophy. They lost in a Mickey Mouse trophy, right, competition. And they lost to Palace, who on the day was very good. And I think that red card decision for me was 50 50. Because I don't yeah, think. Yeah, could... I think it was, it, was a, it was a very harsh decision. I mean, where, where they were. Yes, he was uh, Saha. Zaha would have been through on goal, but it's not a clear goal scoring opportunity. The distance for me is to, to, yeah. But regardless of that, I think City had a rough day at the office, and then they had a, a penalties where they 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 lost some penalties to West Ham yeah. at, at West Ham Stadium, and a West Ham that are doing really well at the moment. So you probably have a bit more of a crowd behind you. I also think you probably have a bit more of a kind of family crowd behind you at a League Cup game as well. So you probably have a bit more of a sort of atmosphere. So I'm only going to pull you up on the on the Mickey Mouse trophy because obviously Pep takes it very seriously. He, you know, he, he wouldn't he wouldn't win it. Did he in that game? Is my I don't I don't know if that's if it is I, or not. I, to be honest, I haven't looked at their their starting lineup or anything like that. Um, but I'm assuming he he wasn't he wasn't in it to to just so, make did, up the numbers. It was it was Stefan. Who played in it last season? So that's you know, mm-hmm. Walker, Stones, Ake, Zinchenko, De Bruyne, Fernandinho, Gundogan, Mares, Palmer, Sterling. Palmer's the only one there that you'd say doesn't yeah. deserve the shirt. Not doesn't. Sorry, that was yeah. very harsh. Me not doesn't deserve the shirt, but 
isn't of the same ilk as the other players. Yeah. And and you'd, you'd, you'd probably argue that Diaz would play at a backy 99 times out of 100. Who um, is the person who made the difference for them last season? Yeah, absolutely. Now, so Guardiola, I think, takes that tournament very seriously. Um, and I think, you know, just to pull you up on the Mickey Mouse coin, I think Oli Solskjaer would kill for a trophy. You know, he literally, if, if that was the trophy on offer, he would have, he would want it. Uh, I think, as we've said, there's a certain team in the league that, that are allergic to trophies. They would take that all day, every day. Uh, so there are, there are a number of teams that, that don't consider it Mickey Mouse. I appreciate, you know, your team are European champions. But, so you but, that's, do, that's, but that's because they're Mickey Mouse teams. But this this is you know just to sort of really um plunge the sword in here. Man City, it's a Mickey Mouse trophy to Man City because Manchester City with De Bruyne, Fernandinho, Gundawan, Mares, Sterling, Sinchenko, Stones, Walker, taking out the other three players that aren't really of that potential, right? That's a Champions League winning team, in theory, right? So Pep can have his, his, you know, he have his day off for that trade. I think it worked out, and I think it was three years. It worked out. It's been four and a half, five years since they lost a game in that trophy because of the timings of it. Mm-hmm. So I think, forget that for a second. I think, I personally think your red card is a bit hard. Your red card is a bit harsh because I think Pep had a bad week. I don't think, I don't even think it was that bad a week. That's that's the purpose. It's who do I think's had the bad week this week? And then, uh, you know, if people disagree, they can always add comments. They can always uh, call me out on it. I don't mind. And uh, so do you, so there'll, just, there'll be someone I mean, next week. So do you think that, that Pep had a worse week than Dean Smith? Or a worse week than, than Laporte? Or a worse week than, I don't know, Trying to think of a, of a player here, a worse week than De Gea. Like De Gea's been in teams that have won, but he's been poor. You know, so so De Gea has, has been was very poor last season. Let's let's not pretend he's been very good this season. He he conceded a very soft goal today, but on the weekend he kept a clean sheet, didn't have to do anything. I mean, he you know, he I kept a clean sheet give... because he didn't have to do anything. First one in about twenty, as I've said. So. You know, he he couldn't be, in my opinion, considered for for sort of the red card of the week. Um, Dean Smith, yes, uh, Aston Villa got absolutely humped uh, at home uh, by West Ham, but you'd argue that West Ham are a, a much much better side than than Aston Villa currently. Uh, I would say that City, whether it's on paper or, or whatever, are a significantly better team than Crystal Palace. Uh, how dare and you? Man for, man for man, better than West Ham, and and they lost both games. Yeah, you, know, you you can't lose two games in a week and and not get. It. That's my that's my that's my view. And on that note, thank you everyone for listening to the red card with me, Dean, and him, mad old man Ben. Um, <laughs> you can follow us on Twitter at the underscore red card. You can go to YouTube and search the red card, and you'll see us there. If you're not already there. We'll be on Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts, apart from probably iTunes, because I can never get that to work. We'll be back next week with one of the suggestions that we said earlier um, for our what if, um, and probably having a bit of banter about Manchester United again.
Go and see. Oli out.